Well, Generation Z sees fighting injustice as a top priority for them, and they're actually looking at the church to see what we're willing to do or say to help in fighting that injustice. And so this morning, Pastor Chuck is going to be bringing a message he prepared, but we thought we would take a few moments to just sit down with two incredible people who are a part of our church family and ask how we can personally and as a church take steps towards unity and change during this time of racial unrest. So thank you, Janae and Donald, for joining us this morning. Well, Donald, you and I have uh, quite a history together. We go way back, and actually I was in yours and Brianna's wedding. So I'm going to just kick us off with a hard question to start, if that's okay. One of the things I'm, I'm enjoying about this movement is that I believe it's challenging a lot of our assumptions. And, uh, you know, we, we're here in Southern California, and we're often referred to as a diverse melting pot of people. And so I think people might be struggling to even believe that race Racism really exists here. Would you tell us in Southern California, have you experienced racism? And if you don't mind, would you share a little bit about your experience? Absolutely. Um, let's see. My family moved to Corona in 1992 from Long Beach uh, in June, right after the watch riots. Um, I was seven years old. I remember watching buildings burning. Family members of mine looting. Mm. Um, and I come to Corona and started Park Ridge Elementary. And uh, I was the only only black kid at my school for almost until fifth grade, I want to say. And so uh, it, was a, it was a culture shock for me as a kid. But we, we don't know race. We just know what we just know people that look like us. So, um but as far as experiencing racism, uh, about 10 years ago when I first started working for Kaiser Permanente, I was driving home at 2 a.m. in the morning and uh, had an old Cadillac, no heating or air conditioning in it, so it was cold. I had a beanie on and a Pendleton, and I got pulled over by the cop, and he asked me, where are you, going, where are you coming from at 2 o'clock in the morning? And I just held my badge up to the window and told him, from work, on my way home. And uh, he's like, all right, on your way, on your way. But I was just like driving while black at 2 a.m. in the morning, I guess, you know. And sadly, I've heard quite a few people sharing over social media that that experience is one that they've had as well. And, um, you know, I'm learning a lot more about that. And I'm sorry that, um, you know, I'm sorry for the times that you've had to endure that. Well, you know, I want to ask you both a question right now, um, because everybody is focused on this, as they should be. You know, personally, in my family, there's not been a day since George Floyd's murder that we haven't had a conversation as a family. And I, I believe that's what needs to be happening. And I would ask you both, what do you see that we're doing right now that's encouraging? And what do you think we could be doing better? I would say that just talking about it and uh, us being able to have an open dialogue and um, and people coming to an understanding of the fact that this is a real thing. It is a real thing. And um, I think people are starting to see their blind spots on this topic, and that is encouraging. Yeah. yeah. Um, to piggyback off that, I think uh, it's really encouraging to see the inclusivity of people that are just joining in the conversation and, and, and uh voicing their opinions as well. It's it's amazing to see the unity in the world right now. 
Now, what do you think we could be doing better at this time? Well, for one thing, I would say that the, the looting situation has got to stop. Um, the violence doesn't get us any closer to an answer. Uh, we have to put those things aside and lay down our swords and kind of come to the table and have more of a focus of understanding where one another are coming from. Um, but when we loot, unfortunately, I think that it kind of supports the stereotype that many times black people have placed upon them. And so I would like to see that to stop and, you know, us come together and talk more. Um, to piggyback off that as well. Um, I think that the looting has to stop and um, people just need to have the hard conversations. It's I, I know it's difficult and uneasy and uncomfortable, but that's what causes growth, uncomfortable. I agree with you guys. Thank you for that. And uh, Janae, you're a licensed psychotherapist, and I also have the privilege of serving with you on our worship team, so I know you well uh, also. And uh, so my question for you is that people are being urged to join the conversation right now and to speak up and use their voice to help with injustice. And uh, my observation is that people are hesitant taking a stand for something like Black Lives Matter when they feel like doing so uh, is standing against others that they love and respect. What advice can you give to those who are wondering how to balance this tension? That's a good question. Um, I would first encourage people to pray, especially if you're a Christian. Yeah. You're supposed to be praying about everything. We're supposed to pray continually, right, and about all things. So I would submit it to God first. Um, secondly, look at the scriptures. You know, there are so many examples of Jesus um, standing with, not just saying, oh, I got you, you know, we're good, but going over and standing with someone who has been uh, neglected or devalued in some kind of way. And he did face a lot of opposition about that from his inner circle. And so we're supposed to use him as a roadmap um, for ourselves. Um, but also don't be afraid of the, the term Black Lives Matter. I think that what in my conversations, at least it's kind of like uh, to say it is to say that you're a rebel, you know, or that you are uh, or that you are being identified with these people who are looting. And that's not the case. Really, the statement Black Lives Matter, it, it points to you acknowledging that this is um, a unique part of the black history in our nation and uh, just acknowledging that, you know, we came from a place where we were owned at one place at one time in our, our nation, you know, so this has been a progressive move forward. We've made a lot of progress, but it's something we need to continue to move forward on. And that's what Black Lives Matter means, really. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Don, you have two little kids at home. And so I was wondering, has this uh, caused any further conversation for you and Brianna um, about how you're going to teach your kids or talk to your kids? Um, and have you talked to either of your kids about racism? Well, my seven-year-old, Jameson, I love you. Um, <laughs> I, love, he, I uh, love him too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, uh, he has a diverse group of friends. Um, uh, a little Filipino boy named Kaleo and a little ginger named Phineas. <laughs> and my son is an Afro-Latino, so he, they pretty much are a little melting pot of their own, and, and to watch them interact, and it, it's amazing. Kids don't know racism. Mm. It's taught to them. Mm. So I would say uh, you're their first teacher. What you yeah. teach them at home, 
they will take out in the street. That's powerful. Thank you. And in Janae, in your profession, what could you tell us, you know, parents, I've got two little ones at home. I've got a three-year-old and an almost one-year-old. Um, and I know others who have older kids than that. When's the right age to start having these type of conversations? And, you know, is there a point where we're modeling always, I imagine, and then we get to the place of actually having harder conversations? Can you lead us on that? I would say school age, when you get to the point where your child is starting to go into school, because that's really where it starts to become um, obvious to them more, I would say. They're, they have a little bit more uh, awareness uh, about the world and as they put, are put in that microcosm of their class, classroom. Um, so at school age is, is a good thing. But before school age, it's a good idea to really put your kids around other people um, who have kids of other races because they start to develop that implicit memory of positive, um, positive experiences that they have had with other kids that don't look like them. And you kind of start to st set the stage for them um, to have a those walls knocked down. That's great advice. Thank you. Uh, another question here for you, Janae. In this age of social media, we are inundated with endless opinions on any given matter. I've been watching and I'm listening to things every day and I'm seeing a lot of people on social media say things like, if you disagree with me on this, then you can just unfollow me. And so I wonder how can we start to encourage better conversation with each other? Oh my gosh, that's such a important question. I think that that has to be let out by the people who are already doing it. Um, the ones that are already talking about it, that are a little bit further along with this thing and start bringing people along <laughs> with yeah. you on this. We have to talk about uh, this elephant in the room that we call America. Um, and so, yeah, I would say to, to have people that are already there to lead out on that, that conversation. Definitely. This issue is so big. And although it's something we will never check off a list, um, I'm also longing for some practical action steps that I can take to help that really will help make a difference. And if I'm honest, there's so much noise out there in the world right now that sometimes it feels like we're fighting against each other instead of fighting for something. Don, can you focus us in and just remind us what should we be fighting for in this time? We should be fighting for each other, um, for racial equality, um, police reform. The people you put in office directly affect your community. So um, I would say that and, and just join in the conversation. Have the hard conversations because that will promote growth. And, and your family, your circle of friends, your children, your coworkers. Thank you for that. And Janae, as a counselor, what's one thing we can do personally? What What's the self-work we can be doing right now that will help? Um, well, I will say there's a really great um, documentary that was done several years ago. Actually, it's been uh, replicated several times. But uh, there was an American teacher, Jane Elliott, who did um, a study in her class just following um, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, she had an all-white class, but she divided the class by blue eyes and brown eyes. And um, it is a remarkable um, thing to watch. I would encourage everybody to go and uh, check that out. You can you can find it anywhere. So start to educate yourself basically uh, about this and and um, you know don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this topic. Yeah. You know it's something that is a human topic. It's not just a black topic. It's it's all of us. This is about us as people coming together and doing better. We can do better.
Yeah, we definitely can do better. And you guys are helping us with that this morning. So thank you so much. And um, we'll make sure to get the, the name of that book and that author. And we'll put that up everywhere we can today after our service airs so that people can really get to that resource. And I'm interested in, in reading that as well. Thank you guys so much for sitting down with us and for sharing your experiences and for being part of our Crossroads family. We genuinely love you. I love serving with both of you. And um, I'm proud to stand with you during this time. Don, would you pray before Pastor Chuck shares a message with us? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time together just to uh, speak in and be heard and listen. Um, I pray for those uh, that are out in the world hurting right now, police officers, uh, just people of the community, um, George Floyd's family, uh, the police officer that was killed in Minnesota. Um, I pray that you would, I pray over our leadership in this country, in this church, Lord, and uh, that you would just bless us all. In your heavenly name, I pray. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that Casey let out in with uh, Janae uh, and, and with Donald. And man, I love those two. I love Casey too, by the way, but I love those two. Uh, and love the friendships we have. Love they're a part of our Crossroads family. Uh, and I do believe the conversation is important to have. Uh, and I know it's loaded, so let me just get that out there. I know it's a loaded conversation with lots of different emotions, uh, but we as a church want to make sure we come together in unity, uh, lifting up Jesus Christ and really seeking uh, to do what it says in Micah, where God says, what does the Lord your God require of you but to love justice uh, and to, to show loving kindness and to walk humbly before our God? Uh, and, and so the whole idea of justice, loving kindness, or mercy, could it be translated either way? And, and to walk humbly, be humble. Uh, and so I've been trying to understand more than ever how I can humble myself in this moment and learn. And so um, all of you out there, if you would hopefully join me and let's go on a journey together, learning and, and really seeking to live out what God wants, I think we could see great things occur. Uh, and so we want to do that. Uh, we really, really want to do that. Uh, to people in the black community who wonder how Crossroads feel, we do believe that black lives matter. Uh, we believe Black Lives Matter. We believe that it's time more than ever for us to uh, stand up and say, hey, end racism. Racism is a sin, and uh, we know it's a sin. All racism's a sin, and it is a sign of the last days that we would descend into this, but it doesn't mean we can't make a difference, and we can. So get ready for this. We're in talks with Dr. Bernice King, who's the youngest daughter of Martin Luther King Jr., about joining us at Crossroads and having this conversation and go even farther. Uh, I have got to be with Dr. King before. She's incredible. She's passionate. She's uh, one of the, the best people you could learn from. And so I want to learn, and I want us to learn together. So we're in the finalizing of the details to have Dr. King with us. And uh, so to me, uh, it's going to be important. And to me, I know you're going to be like on the edge of your seat uh, uh, because she could preach. Uh, so you get ready for that. And so I can't wait for that. The moment we get to tell you when that'll happen. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you is uh, we, and please listen to this whole part of this announcement, uh, back way back before any of the unrest began, uh, we were asking a question, who would be an incredible person to bring in on Father's Day uh, to join us on our, for our Father's Day service and, and to really, really uh, uh, bring a message about faith and fatherhood and generosity? 
and uh, we selected Drew Brees. Uh, so we invited uh, Drew Brees, the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, one of the best football players in the history of the NFL, uh, to come be with us. And then, uh, many of you know Wednesday, a firestorm erupted over some comments he made, and then he apologized for those. And I think it's more important than ever for Drew to be with us and us to be with him. Uh, and so he will be talking about uh, uh, the apology. He'll be talking about how he wants to be a part of the solution. But then we're also more than that going to focus on his faith in Jesus Christ, which is constant and, and, and going to carry him through this, his uh, commitment to being a great father and his desire to always be generous. So that'll happen on Father's Day. I am I, I, I am just thinking this is the best time ever for, for us to have a chance to have that conversation with Drew Brees. So uh, I hope you invite people when Dr. King is on, uh, when Drew Brees is a part of our time together. And uh, we believe God has just guided and brought all this together in a way that we know is him. And so uh, I'm excited about that. I hope you'll be excited about that. But no matter what, let's make sure, let's make sure all of us who are believers that we are unified in, in lifting up Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing we can do, especially in these last days. So one last thought. Wednesday night, I'm continuing our series 100 seconds to midnight because the atomic, uh, uh, the doomsday clock, which is set by the Bulletin of uh, Atomic Scientists, is now 100 seconds to midnight. Uh, and we believe we're closer than ever to the end. The scientists believe we're closer than ever to the end. But the Bible says... One thing more than any other started the countdown. Uh, click the clock so it's counting down. I want to show you this Wednesday what that is. The next Wednesday, we'll go into all the signs that have happened, that are happening, and that are going to happen. So I want to show you from the Bible those things. Can't wait to do that with you. So uh, excited about that. But I want to pray right now. Let's pray, and we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians and talk about keeping it real. Father, uh, we pray for your hand to be with us, and may we in these days be a voice uh, that, that rings out, that, that calls for love instead of hate, for peace instead of violence. May we be peacemakers so people can say we truly are the children of God, and, and may we, Lord, shine as lights in the darkness. Uh, I pray that that's what we're going to do, and I pray what we're going to talk about right now is how you are constantly changing us so we could get better and be better. And uh, may we uh, just really be, uh, uh, be aware of two of the tools you use to get us there. And so I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you. I feel like things are changing constantly right now from one week to another, one day to another, sometimes one hour to another uh, change is occurring. Uh, and things are, are, are different right now than they were two months ago. Uh, for instance, it used to be when somebody said, I can't wait to walk down the aisle. Uh, they were talking about their wedding, right? Walk down the aisle. But, but now they're not talking about their wedding. When someone says, I can't wait to walk down the aisle, <laughs> look what they're talking about. Uh, they're talking about, I can't to get on a plane and finally get to walk down the aisle. Um, then how about this one? Uh, two months ago, I don't think you wondered where, where toilet paper is coming from. But now uh, I, I love this post here uh, where the guy says, uh, as long as my job has tissue, I have tissue. <laughs> and that obviously came from his job, not the store. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that's one of those things that have changed too. And then there's a phrase I, I bet I hear three to four times a week, if not more, that I never 
never heard two, two months ago. And it's this. I, can, I, can I share my screen with you? Can you see my screen? And you know what? Things keep changing like that. But, but I want to have you think about this. Can people change? Can people change? And, and, and can someone who's an angry, angry person become a person of kindness and peace? Uh, can someone who's suffering from an addiction actually get free and overcome the oppression of that addiction? Uh, can someone who's a racist actually leave that sin behind and become a person of kindness, care, and be a peacemaker and, and actually be able to join hands and hug, even uh, in this time of social distancing, maybe, uh, in a way that says that we know all people matter and we want to value people in every single way. And so uh, can we do that together? Is that possible to do? And so what I want you to think about is can people change? Can be people change? And, and the, the cool thing is I know they can I believe I'm a different person today because of Jesus Christ. I get around constantly other people who are different because of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about keeping it real, what we say is, hey, we can change. You don't have to be who you are now. You can be better. I don't have to be who I am now. I can be better. And God uses two things. I want you to think about that. Uh, two things to bring about change. Now, I actually use more than two, but there are two fill-in-the-blank moments here where you can see change occur, that these tools actually are effective for bringing about change. And number one is godly community. We're going to see that here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, godly community can bring change which results in love, joy, and strength. Do you want more love? God, godly community is what God can use to bring that about. You want more joy? God can bring godly community to give you joy. Do you want strength? Do you want strength? The Bible says the joy of the Lord, your strength. And very, very often that joy is found according to God in community. So I want you to think about that. So Paul starts out 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 this way in verse 2. He says, make room for us in your hearts. Look at those words. Make room for us in your hearts. God's emphasizing that. Paul's going to that. He's shouting that. He's saying, don't miss this. Make room for us in your hearts. And then he says, we wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. He says, I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts. And I don't want you to miss that. I almost underline that part there. You are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Uh, by the way, you may disagree even with some of the things I said earlier, but I'm going to say make room for me in your heart. Uh, uh, I may disagree with you about something, but you know what? Is there something higher we can go to? Make room. May, I'll make room for you in my heart. And, and so what is he saying? He said, let's really love each other. Let's really have a heart for each other. Let's really care about each other. And you know what? I feel like Paul in this moment is almost pleading with him. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Why? Because he cares about each person. He's, he's saying that too. Uh, if you're around Crossroads very long, you're going to know I'm always going to say that to you. I'm going to say, hey, come on, be a part. Connect with us. Let us connect with you. And you know why? Because you matter and God loves you. God cares about you. We care about you. Hopefully you care about us. And, and it's in community, in a connected community, uh, where we see God actually start changing us for the better, giving us love and joy and strength, uh, even in the tough times. And so maybe in a time like this, we need it way, way, way more than any other time, but we're always going to need it. 
And, and so God wants you to experience that. And by the way, I know, I know the church is the best place to do that. Uh, the church is where we can experience that best and most. And, and by the way, in times like these, uh, we want to we wanna see a, a taste of heaven on earth. In heaven, we're going to stand side by side and shoulder to shoulder in love with each other. Uh, by the way, in Revelation chapter 7, it says that John looked out in, in heaven and saw people from every tribe and tongue and nation, uh, all races standing together side by side. Uh, in the church, we're to do that too. Uh, we're to come together and, and stand together and love each other and, and, and see that happen. And, and Jesus actually said, I want you to pray these words, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's unity. In, in heaven, there's community. Notice that even in heaven, there's community. And, and so God wants that for you and wants it for me. But too many people don't have it. Too many people are missing out on this. Uh, in 2018, I've quoted this study before, Cigna Health did a, a major study, a, an incredible researched study on what was going on in people's health and what they found was something that, that shocked us all. We probably knew it was there, but they verified it and brought it out in a way that showed that the need was greater than we ever knew before. And that's this, people are lonely. Uh, there's an epidemic of loneliness in this country. In Genesis chapter two, God said it is not good for man to be alone. So I want you to grab that. It's not good. It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be lonely. But, but Gen Z and, and the, the current generation in front of us and Gen Y, the millennial generation, are now found to be the loneliest generations we've ever had uh, uh, in the United States, maybe in the world, actually in the world. And so these two generations, the youngest generations are lonelier than any other generation before them. And it's not good to be alone. They self-report in the study. They self-report in the study. They believe they're in worse physical health than the other generations. Which, by the way, if someone who's 18 thinks that I'm in better health than they are, <laughs> I don't know about you. That's, that's scary. Uh, you know, and, and here's the thing, though. It's true. This study found that that's actually true uh, because loneliness is as detrimental to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is more harmful to your body than being obese. Now, obesity takes, takes years off your life. Smoking cigarettes takes years off your life. And, and here's the thing. Loneliness takes more. And so when God said it's not good for you to be alone, there's something that's better for you. It's being in community. And again, the church is the best place to do that. I want you to know that that's true. And, and so God wants that for you. Uh, and we know that loneliness can be very, very, very harmful. Um, loneliness can break you. Community can make you. Um, another series of studies I read about when especially I was in my schooling was on uh, studies that were done on prisoners who were put in solitary confinement. Uh, and, and so, uh, by the way, uh, we, why do they put someone in solitary confinement? I think you already know. It's to break them. Uh, uh, it's to break them. They want to break them down. They want to break their spirit. They want to break them as a, as a person. And, and they found by studying people in solitary confinement that within 30 days, their body actually takes a, a, a harmful turn. Their brain does. 
doing studies neurologically on prisoners who've been in solitary confinement finds out that it affects their brain in a negative way. So here's what they found. People who are lonely and in solitary confinement suffer from hypertension, headaches, trembling, sweaty palms, heart palpitations, mood disorders, and depression. They also found this neurologically, the hippocampus shrinks. You might say, what does that mean? Well, that's a part of your brain that has to do with spatial recognition. It has to do with memory. Uh, and, and it has to do uh, with learning. You can't learn as well. When you're lonely, you can't learn as well. When you're lonely, you don't, your memory suffers. When you're lonely, uh, you lose a, an ability to recognize spatial recognition. Uh, and so one of the things that's so sad about that is we know that the hippocampus shrinks and the amygdala begins to go more active. And the amygdala in particular in that case, we're talking about become more, more aggressive. So some of you might uh, relate a lonely person tends to have a harder time controlling their temper. And, uh, um, I've been around people who say, you know what, I, I, I just feel like I'm ready to explode. And, and they talk, but I'm so lonely. I'm just so lonely. And of course, that creates a cycle of loneliness when you're that way. And, and so we know all that's true. Here's the thing. That happens to people who are in self-imposed isolation, who, are, who have put themselves in their own level of solitary confinement. And Paul begged, make room for me in your heart. Don't live that way. Don't be that way. And, and we know now there's been studies currently done that during this time of safer at home and social isolation, that people are beginning to suffer from it. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, it probably is true your hippocampus is shrinking, you know that? And you know that's true because you find yourself not even sure what day of the week it is. Anybody, a lot of you told me that. See, sometimes I'm not sure what day of the week it is uh, because that's a, a part of that social isolation, that loneliness that you may be experiencing right now. Some of you are finding you can't remember where things are. Where, where, where's my car keys? Where's my phone? For me, I, I three times in one day lost my glasses. And I even the last time said, I'm not going not gonna to forget where I put them. And about 20 minutes later, I don't know where they were. And, and you know what? That's because even with Pam and others, I'm still feeling this feeling of disconnectedness. Some of you, some of you aren't even sure what your kids' names. <laughs> There's some dads out there going, hey, who is that one? I don't remember having him. <laughs> come on, that's funny. All right, come on, that's funny. You got to put it in the chat. That's funny, okay? <laughs> don't know his name. <laughs> um, but the bottom line is social isolation, being lonely, not having community, not knowing love is is the last thing God wants for you. And he uses community. He uses relationships to make you better. And when you choose not to experience that, it, it's not a good thing. Proverbs 18 verse one says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. You know what? Sometimes I've heard people say, well, I don't need a life group. You're quarreling against all sound wisdom. Uh, I'm fine. I, I don't need to have that many other people in my life. You need godly people you can have iron sharpened iron moments with. You need that. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. And so at crossroads, you know what? You're going to say, man, Chuck, it, it, I'm just kind of waiting. Here you go again. Got to get in a life group. Got to get in a life group. You got to get in a life group. I mean, I, I, you need to be in one where you can have Christian friends. By the way, even if you're not a Christian, get around some Christian people who are going to be more loving and, and, and less judgmental and, and where you could go deep. 
Think about what it would feel when you go deep with people. And, and God wants you to have a place like that. And we work really hard to make sure that our children can have life groups. If you have children, we can get them in a child, children's life group. Uh, junior high has life groups. High school has life groups. College has life groups. Uh, we have a set-free ministry for people who are struggling with addiction to be together in community to get people free. Uh, we have singles groups out there where you can come together and, and, and be with people who are at that season of life where you're single because you matter. You matter so much and you have so much value at this point in your life. Uh, we have married couple life groups, men's groups, women's groups. Uh, by the way, uh, we have one maybe that the best starting place of all is called Alpha. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and we have the, this group called Alpha and when you start in that, you start in the, the, the beginnings of Christianity, understanding the most important things about it and then you form a group there and, and can find great friendships and community. And if you want one of those groups, just text group, group, singular, group, to 69922. Just grab your phone and do it. Group, 69922. Or go to crossroadschurch.family on, on the web, and we'll help you get in a group. Uh, and so we really, really want that for you. Uh, and God wants that for you. And, and I want you to notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 about how God uses relationships, how God uses community to bring about change for the better. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4 says, Great is my confidence in you, Paul says. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. So when you're in community, notice what he says. Not just I have comfort, I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Look at that line again. I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Why? Because it goes, I have you. I have the church. I have a church family. He says, that's what happens. And he goes, even when we came into Macedonia and our flesh had no rest and we were afflicted on every side. He said, man, it was coming at us in every way possible. Conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, and, and I really don't want you to miss that. God never condemns the depressed. What does God do? God comforts the depressed. If you're struggling with depression, man, God's not saying what's wrong with you. God's going, let me comfort you. Let me comfort you. And some of you need that comfort right now. God who comforts the depressed, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And, and you know what he said? He said, I was, I, I was right on that verge of depression taking over. And what did God do? He sent a friend. He sent a friend. Why? Because it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you not to be in community. And Paul said, you know what? Titus came. God sent someone to be with me. And then he says, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. He said, when I heard how, how you comforted him, how the church was the church, the fellowship was the fellowship, he said that lifted my spirits too as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. So what happened? I rejoiced even more. He goes, I had joy overflowing already because of the community. And then I got more joy because of community. Community changes you for the better. Community uh, uh, lifts you up. Community carries you through. And again, the church is the best place for community. Why? Because we come together and love everybody, period. Galatians 3, 27 to 28 says, For all you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So, you know, in Christ, we don't have divide. We don't have division when we really are in Christ. Uh, we're in a divided country right now. Uh, and, and that's sad to me. But in, in the church, we, we should never be divided. 
Uh, there's Jew nor Greek. There's no racial divide in the church. We love each other and value each other and care about each other. Uh, there's neither male nor female. Uh, by the way, we've been a church that's always spoken out uh, against women who ha- have been you know, found also to, to not be lifted up and unleashed to use their gifting and respect in, in their leadership. And, and so we just want to do that. And, and, and we want to find ourselves having no divide whatsoever. So in the church, there's no division between us based on race, gender, title, or position. We just love each other. And we come together and, and say, in Jesus, we're, we're all family. We're all family. We're all the children of God. And uh, that's what God wants us to do is to come together as one. So we talk about keeping it real. We need to have a church family. And so community is one of the things God uses to bring about change. There's a second thing, though. God not only uses godly community to bring about change, God uses godly sorrow to bring about change. So number two, number two is godly sorrow, godly sorrow. And so look what uh, he says here, because sometimes we don't think about sorrow being a very vital tool to make you better. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 8 says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. He's talking about the letter of 1 Corinthians. If you read that, man, Paul, Paul points out some things that aren't good, some things that need to change. And he said, I wrote a strong letter to you because I love you, and I know it brought about sorrow. And, and so he says that. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. And you might uh, wonder, okay, wait a minute, are you going back and forth here? Uh, uh, there's been times I, as a leader, have had to call somebody on something. And, and uh, in my very nature, I don't like it. Like I'm sitting there going, oh, this hurts to call them out. This hurts to confront them. It hurts. I'm not good at it uh, in, in, in the sense of the feeling part of it, but you got to do it. But then later on, I've had so many, more often than not, by the way, people come to me saying, you know what, when you gave me those hard words, it showed me you cared. So how I didn't, I regretted it in the moment, but I don't regret it now because I would say more than encouragement, the times I've had to do confrontation, it brought about better change uh, in people. And, and they come back and thank me for it. And, and it's like, oh, I regret it. Oh, and then later, that's what Paul's saying. So he goes, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Don't miss that in verse nine. You were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So there is a godly sorrow that's according to God's will, and it always brings about change for the better. And so I want you to know that. And it says, um, He says this, according to the will of God, so you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse 10, don't miss verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Now, I want you to look at those words. It's so important. Look at them right there. If you had to point at the screen, point at the screen, underline it. If you have your Bible out, even better. He says, for this is, he says, it has produces a repentance without regret. Without regret. That's a big deal. Leading to salvation, it leads you to be saved and, and, and to be on that journey of salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. There's good sorrow and bad sorrow. There's a sorrow that will make you better, and there's a sorrow that will create death in you. 
And, and you need to know what the difference is between the two. So there's a godly sorrow which produces life, which produces transformation, which brings about this incredible thing called repentance. So by the way, it's God's will for you to be sorry when you're wrong. Uh, I, I want to say this. There are some of you right now, let's just get honest here. You struggle with being someone who says they're sorry. Uh, matter of fact, if you really want to get gutsy, put that in the chat. Say, that's me. I struggle saying I'm sorry. Some of you know somebody, you can't remember ever hearing them say they're sorry. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, who's one of the um, leaders uh, in organizational health and how to be more effective in organizations, asked this question. He said, if you're on a team and you haven't said you're sorry in the past six months, that either shows me you're not invested uh, or you're not honest about who you are. And he goes, and so many times people go, but when I, what should I be sorry for? Well, you know what? If you haven't said sorry in the last six months, why? Maybe you're not in a relationship at all, and now you need to be in community. But let me just say this. When you are in relationship and you are in community, there's going to come a time you're going to come up short. You're going to say the wrong thing. You're going to be harsher than you should have been. You're not going to follow through on a responsibility. You're going to broken trust. And uh, it does matter that you say you're sorry. Now, it may not fix it all the way, but this godly sorrow means I'm going to be sorry for when, when I haven't been my best, when I haven't shown grace, when I've, I've hurt somebody. And, and in the church, we should come together for forgiveness. By the way, let me just say as clearly as I can. We ought to be, not, I'm going to say that's wrong. We have to be forgiving people. We can't be judgmental. Um, we can't do that. We've got to be people. When someone says, I'm sorry, we show forgiveness. Drew Brees came out with, the, I know, as a heartfelt apology. And you know what? If someone says, I'm not going to forgive him, that says more about you than it does him. And Jesus warns against that. He said, if you will not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. By the way, Jesus wasn't mincing words. If you will not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And you can say, oh, but I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. No. If you will not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Jesus' blood's powerful, but it won't be given for someone who's unforgiving. You and I, you and I need to be sorry for things. And we need to accept others when they're sorry. And we need to be forgiving. Uh, it's, a, it's a commandment. God's not playing around on this one. And you and I need to be sorry over our sins. Sorry over the pain we caused. Sorry over even the sins we've sinned against ourselves. Sorry over the fact that Jesus had to die for that sin. And you know what we need to do is we need to understand that will create change. That will create change in us. Uh, we need to come and sometimes mourn. Uh, in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I love that verse. I, I, I quote it all the time and I can and I should. If you're right now, if you're not close to God, let me just tell you this. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you open up to God, he's going to come and love on you. Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to do that. Even right now, at the very end, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me where you can say yes to Jesus, where you can open your heart to Jesus and find Jesus' love and forgiveness. Have all your sins forgiven, and then you can become a forgiving person. 
But here's the thing, that creates change. And, and you could pray that prayer with me. But even now, even now, you could text in. If you know you need to do this for the first time or recommit, you can right now text in, amen, meaning the truth. Amen means the truth to 69922. Oh, get your phone, uh, your computer right now. Say, I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to text in. Amen to 69922. And, and at the end, we'll pray that prayer together. But, but what I want you to know is that James says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. But it goes on to say this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, it's not an idle thing. It's coming saying, God, I want to be cleansed, so cleanse me. And I don't want to hold on to the sin anymore. Cleanse your hands, your sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. I, uh, I, I had been walking with the Lord um, a little while and then I began to, to get involved in a relationship with the non-Christian girl, Pam, my, who would be my wife. That's a sin. Christians aren't to be in romantic relationships with non-Christians. I sinned. And I chose Pamela or God. And I fell away. And I pressured her sexually. And she got pregnant. And then we committed a vile sin, a horrible sin called abortion. And we took the life of our baby. And in my sin, I committed murder. In my sin, I hurt Pam. I mean, it was devastating. The depression that she went into, the pain she felt. And uh, one night, Pastor Tim Coop, who was the pastor at Crossroads then, shared that God would still love me. And I went home from that meeting and I got on my knees and I mourned. I thought, how could I have done what I did? How could I have been who I'd been? How could I have hurt Pam? How could I have hurt my baby? How could I, how could I have sinned against God? And I cried. I cried. And that godly sorrow led to repentance. No more. No more being that person. No more putting anything or anyone ahead of God. No more. See, repentance is a, is a complete turnaround and godly sorrow causes you to repent, which means causes you to change. The word repentance is a Greek word, metanoia, and it means a complete reversal. It means to change your mind. Now, it's not just a changing your mind. It means to really change your mind and what you think. Uh, and then it's this, to change your way of life. So it's a change of will. It's a change of mind. It's a change of way of life. And, but it means you can change. It means you can change. And so when I repent, that means, you know what, Lord, I'm going to be different. And God gives you the power. God gives you the grace. God gives you the forgiveness and love so you now can repent and can be different. By the way, sorry isn't repentance. Sorry or sorrow leads to repentance. And godly sorrow leads to this complete change. And what is that change where now I'm going to live my life by saying, not my will be done, but thy will be done. God, whatever you want, whatever you say, whatever you do. I know I've truly repented when I open the Bible and see a command in the Bible, and I'm, I'm just, I'm in. I'm going to do it. I, I'm not going to hold back. And I'm going to live my life with him and for him. 
And so that's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to be. Uh, John the Baptist preceded Jesus in ministry. He came to get everybody ready for the coming of Jesus. And what he did is he proclaimed, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. And, and the idea of getting baptized was the idea of saying, you know, I want to be completely right with God and ready for Jesus. And, and then he warned them, but if, if you're going to do that, you got to repent. And in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, it says, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he, John the Baptist, said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's what I don't want you to miss. When someone is sorry and that leads to repentance, you can see it in their life. Uh, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be change. There's going to be some difference in how they act and what they say and how they think because it's complete change. And God can bring about change. We can repent from things and be changed. We can turn from things and be different. That's what he's saying to you. So I want you to not miss that. So look at 2 Corinthians 7.10 again. It says this. It says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. You know why? Because God's saying, when you're ready to change, I'll help you change. When you're ready to be different, I'll help you be different. The Holy Spirit comes. You may not even understand what that means, but God, uh, he, he shows himself to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He comes to us in the power of his Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God. And, and the Spirit of God comes on us, and, and he helps us change. He helps us change. And, and we need to understand, that is Jesus' core message. Jesus' core message when he walked the earth is repent. Matthew 4.17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so you and I can really live that way. You and I can see that happen. And, and whenever you repent, then there's this fruit that's born, this change that's born, this zeal that's born for a God who would love you that much they would bring that about. In 2 Corinthians 7.11, uh, Paul brings uh, this whole uh, part of this section together by saying these words. He says, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourself to be innocent in this matter. Paul said, I could look at your lives and see the change. Um, Pam and I are pro-life. Why? Because we know of the horror of abortion and the sin of abortion. By the way, not condemning other people, calling them not to commit that sin, or if you have, to come to God and be forgiven like we have been. But we have a zeal about that. By the way, Dr. Bernice King, uh, she has a zeal for that too. But we have a zeal for it. Uh, I have a zeal, an earnestness that people would know they can be forgiven, that they know they could be loved. Why? Because I needed it so much. And God did it. God forgave me. God forgave me and cleansed me. Do I deserve it? No. Jesus did it because he loves me. Jesus will do it because he loves you. And, and I have this zeal, this earnestness to, to say, come and, and, and find God's love. Come and know you matter. Come and know you have value. Come and know you have a purpose. You can have an identity. And by the way, I have an indignation over anybody who tries to say people can't change or people aren't welcome. And I'm like, or, or, or being judgmental. You know, I think we all struggle with it, but I, there's something in me that makes it really hard to throw stones. Jesus said, let him who is with sin cast the first stone. I have a really hard time picking that up and throwing stones at anybody else. Uh, and, you know, in this season, I think there's a lot of, of, of stone throwing. 
There's a lot of rocks being hurled. And I want to warn you, if you're someone doing that, I have the same openness to look in the mirror and go, who am I to do that to somebody else? Because why? I've been forgiven and I need to call out for forgiveness. I needed mercy. I need to call out for them to have mercy. I need to show love because I needed love. And God has all that for you. And so right now, if you're far from God, I want to tell you, he loves you. You can be his. Your life could be better. You could change. And he'll use godly community to bring about change. And we'd love for you to connect with us and be a godly community. And then he uses godly sorrow to bring it about. So right now, are you, are you mourning over shame and guilt in your life? Be free of it. It's time to come and be free. It's time to come and get healing. It's time to let the Lord wipe away every tear from your eyes and, and let him pour his love within you. And, and so in a moment, I'm gonna lead a prayer where you can say to the Lord, I wanna give my life to you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be loved. And I wanna be different. I wanna change. You can change. You don't have to be that way anymore. You could be a better husband. You could be a better father. You could be a, a better a, a wife, a better mother. By the way, if you're single, you, you don't have to feel like, you know what, you're waiting for happiness to come or joy to come or purpose to come because you're made for more than even that. And if you've done those things or you're caught up in something you now know, man, I wish if I could take it back, you know, the Lord says, well, you know what, let's just, let's just cause it, let it make you better. Let's take that and make you better. And what do you do? You pray a prayer and commit your life to the Lord. Some of you need to pray this for the first time. And then again, I told you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead this prayer. And then I want you to text amen to 69922. Maybe you're praying it for the first time. Maybe you're praying it to recommit your life. Maybe right now. This is a time to go, you know what? I'm not where I should be with Jesus and I do know him. I'm gonna recommit my life to him. Pray that prayer. When I did that that night, crying out to God, he made it happen. He'll make it happen for you. Maybe you need to pray this as a couple. Maybe you need to pray this as friends. Uh, Maybe as a family. Whole families can pray this together. But I'm gonna ask you to pray the prayer with me. I'm gonna ask you to say yes to Jesus with me. But before we do that, I want to pray for people to say yes to the Lord because you can change. You can be better. You can know love. You can have joy. You can have strength. Wow, you can, you can have purpose. But before we lead you in that prayer, I want to ask all of you out there who know the Lord, join me in praying for people to say yes to him and then texting that in. Let's pray for them right now. Father, I pray for people that need to open their hearts to you commit their lives to you and change. I pray there's there's someone out there right now and they know they've had a hard, hard time saying they're sorry. It just is so hard for them to do it because they've been hurt so badly. And whenever they did do that, it it was used as a weapon against them. But Lord, that wall they built up, that that hardness they now are hiding under, it's time for it to go because they can't love the way they need to love. They can't be vulnerable the way they need to be vulnerable. And, and they can let go of the fear of that and let you now pour love in them and protect them and, and, and bring healing from those very, very hurtful times. God, there's a, a husband right now who needs to come to you. He's, if he doesn't, he's going to lose his family. And um, 
he doesn't want to do that. And, and right now, I think there's a stubbornness in him. He's almost not, not caring. But Lord, for some reason, he's listening now. And I pray he's going to open his heart to you. And he's going to, he's going to say yes to you. God, I, I pray right now for a person who all the things that are going on have caused them to get more angry and more angry and more angry. And, but deep down, they're tired. Oh, it's tiring. And they're exhausted from it. And it's not benefiting them. And I pray, God, they're going to let go right now and they're going to pray this prayer of commitment to you. I pray for a person who may not have ever met you before, Lord, but somehow they know today's different. And I pray for those who just need you. So the Lord, I pray right now for people to open their hearts to you. Wow. Some of you have already texted in, amen. Praise God, praise God for you. And, and we're going to pray this prayer together. If you haven't done it yet, still text in, but I want you to pray this prayer with me. You matter to God. And right now, let's just pray it. Think about the words. Say, Lord Jesus. Actually say it. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. I pray you'll... Forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and pain. I pray you'll free me from anything that would hold me back or hold me down. But most of all, say most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. And I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. If those are the only words you can say, that's, that, that God knows your heart, just say, I say yes. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. And then here's the word, amen, which means for real. It means the truth. Amen, amen. And, and right now, if you haven't texted that in, you gotta do it. We want you to text in and we wanna know who you are. We care about you. You can trust us with this. And then we wanna get stuff to you to help you grow in the Lord. So we have gifts for you. We wanna get you. So text in amen to 69922 and uh, then we're going to get back with you and help you connect with God and connect with us and uh, we want to be able to do that. Uh, before we go though, I, I want to share something with you. Uh, we're in a season called Boldly Blessed. Actually, normally it would have ended at Easter, but we extended it uh, because of what's going on in the economy and how many people are hurting right now. And what that is this, we ask everybody to give $1 more than you normally give. So if you don't give anything, I'm going to ask you to text in $1, just a dollar more than you no normally give uh, per person per week. Then we have a way of analyzing that to find out what's going on with that. Then we take that amount of money and we go and make someone's life better. Uh, we boldly bless them and we all are in this together. So just a dollar helps us do that. And we go and change somebody's life. And uh, every week we tell you what happened. And so let me tell you about this one. Um, uh, there's a family who we became aware of and the father, the mother, and the college age daughter, they had a high school, they have a high school daughter too. But the three of them were the in people bringing income into their family. And all three of them lost their ability to bring an in income. All three. It was a trifecta that wasn't good. And so what happened is they got into trouble. The mom who needs medication and, and, and help medically, she had to choose between that and food. Uh, they, the whole family had to wonder if they were even gonna lose their place to live. And so when we heard about them, we paid, uh, they had two months, they were late 
our, for two months of rent. We paid that off so they're completely caught up. Uh, we also have put them in a place where they're not going to have to worry for this season and, and we're making sure they're taken care of. And so you and I have made sure a family now not only has a place to live, but they have peace of mind. And now they're having joy knowing the church has rallied behind them. We boldly bless them and we all did that together. And thank you that we could do that in the name of Jesus. By the way, we're going to continue this all the way through June. We're going to have a big, big, boldly bless at the uh, end of June, which I think you're going to be super excited about. So anyway, right now, I I want to invite you to come back Wednesday night. Can't wait to be with you for 100 seconds to midnight. But I also want you to hear closing words from Stephen and Casey. Well, congratulations to all of you who made a decision to follow Jesus or be baptized today. And if you did text us to make that decision, be sure to reply with your name so we can send you a special gift. I also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to be a part of our family by joining us right here online next week. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you'll never miss out on our messages. And if you found yourself thinking, I wish so-and-so was watching this right now, I do this all the time, hit that share button and send it to them so they can be encouraged by the message also. And finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you want to be part of making an impact all over the world, you can text GIVING to 69922 to make a financial gift today. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next week.